1: This is the Royal Blue podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello and welcome to the first ever edition of Analyzing Everton, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Royal Blue channel. Um, To my left is Mr. Josh Williams. um, I'm David Hughes, of course. Josh,
0: how are you, mate? But mate, yeah, this is uh, gonna be a bit different to what we usually do, isn't it? Well yeah. certainly myself at least.
1: Yeah, it is, yeah. It's uh would it be Rising right Saint your first ever Everton podcast?
0: It is, yeah. First ever Everton podcast. But um hopefully I'm prepared enough to uh, keep up with yourself. Yeah, well, I mean it won't be hard mate, let's be honest. <laughs> um yeah.
1: What we'll probably do is maybe introduce ourselves a little bit to people listening. Um talk a little bit about the pod and then crack on. Um so yeah. Uh, obviously, I'm a tactics and analytical content writer, I suppose, uh, at Reach PLC, so Reach cover, Liverpool Echo, um, Manchester Evening News, Newcastle Chronicle, Football London, quite a few of the uh, local journalism outlets, um, and the idea is just to bring a little bit more tactics and analysis to mainstream media. That's... Um,
0: Pretty much the same thing for you, isn't it, Josh? In the same role? Yeah, um, we're the first two in the company with these roles. Um, we were appointed around a year ago now. The, the technical word for the role is football scouting writer, um, and as David said, we're just responsible for providing mainstream football analysis—really the kind of thing that you'd see on Monday Night Football. We is is what we do daily, um, just providing insights, delving into tactics. Um and rather than using like traditional cliches to to address certain situations, we will maybe go a bit deeper to actually assess whether that's the truth or you know things like that. So hopefully we'll be able to provide a bit of an alternative angle on um on what what else is out there basically. Yeah, definitely.
1: Um, in terms of the podcast itself, you may or may not be aware. I, I assume a lot of people listening or watching won't, but we both do a show called Analyze Analyzing Anfield, don't we? Yeah, um, which, ironically, obviously I'm an I'm an Everton fan. Josh is a red. but we've never found any issues with that have we at all because of the um, I think just the way the podcast is. It's it it's not it's nothing really to do with rivalries or trying to you know one upmanship, is it? It's just analysis of the game. Um, yeah, it's no point scoring. You know, it, I should point out very early on if that's what you're looking <laughs> for, you're probably better going somewhere else um, because this isn't it. We're not going to be doing it on this show. Um but yeah, analyzing and Anfield started this year, didn't it? It's been quite a success. It yeah, has
0: it's went down really well, yeah. We do an analyzing and Anfield episode every week. Um and we just address the things that I've basically just mentioned there. Um and it it's went down really well to the extent that, you know, it's it's worth branching out. Um and, you know, we don't tend to discuss, you know, referee decisions or VAR or anything like that. Um, we tend to keep it quite analytical, and most of all, unbiased. I think we, you know, assess certain situations Definitely, completely yeah. objectively. Yeah. And you know, hopefully, you'll get a, a a gauge of what we're what we're about throughout the f- the first episode today. Yeah,
1: hopefully. Um, that probably takes us on to on to where we're going to go with the show. Um, with it being the first episode, I thought it'd be good to maybe just almost take stock of uh, Marco Silva at Everton. Uh, obviously, we're into a second season now. We're coming close to the end of November, nearly December, so we're getting a good gauge as to where these are. So we'll look a little bit of his the staples of his philosophy at Everton, uh, what we've seen so far. Um, general thoughts on on Everton so far this season, um, you know, the good and the bad, really. And then have a look at a few players. Um, one I'd like to look at because I seem to be talking about them all the time is a Wobie. Um, yeah. Big fan. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Um and then we'll have a quick reflection on Southampton. I mean, it was nearly two weeks ago now, so we won't loiter to too long. And then we'll have a look ahead to Norwich, which could be a could be a big game given the, the fixtures Everton have got on the on the horizon. Um so yeah, we'll we'll look at Marco Silva initially at Everton Josh. Um you know he last season he finished eighth. Everton are currently fifteenth under him. I mean it doesn't look great on paper, does it? But
0: is it as in your opinion, is it as bad as it seems or Well that, what you've just said there's a good point that it doesn't look it doesn't look great on paper. Mm. But I think what what we're hopefully gonna do is provide a bit of insight into why it's important to look beyond that, basically. Yeah. Football's obviously a very low scoring game. Um and the majority out there are inclined to focus on results and determine their own opinions based on that. But if you actually do look a little bit deeper, you get an insight into the story and I think I mean, I don't get to write about Everton a great deal because you know you're you're the blue in the group, so yeah. You you write about them most of the time, but there was a period last year, um, around the January, period I think it was or something like that. I, I actually got to write about Everton for one of the first times, um, and I just I analysed you know what, what he was doing, the, the numbers, and that objectively, yeah. though I didn't really know Everton, mm. do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. F- from like a, a blank canvas, yeah, blank yeah. canvas, yeah, and. Uh, it, it it was just quite evident that like for me the I think what he's trying to do, he's trying to instill like a, a modern, uh, quite a of high energy game, high tempo. Um but at the time I, I wasn't entirely sure that the actual squad, his actual players were suited to that. Mm-hmm. Hence, you know I, I mean Everton obviously intense presses, I'm sure we'll get to that. Yeah. Uh if really intense without the ball. But I think one one of the things I picked up on was that because they um, don't really have the the entirely suitable players in possession, the possession based players, it kind of resulted in the ball almost pinballing in and around the midfield area for ninety minutes. Yeah. Basically, that was how I deemed it. You know, objectively speaking, at the time, um, I think I think the recruitment's improved slightly. Uh, I think you've gradually improved upon what what was there last year. Mm. But I do I do see similar similar issues in terms of he's he's signing still a certain brand of football. He is doing it as much as he can, really. Yeah. Um. But I I just see certain player profile issues here and there. Yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah, totally agree with that. I think you know I had a look at the numbers myself at the end of the season, just in some key departments, because a lot was made of the fact that Everton replicated an, an eighth place finish. Which is what he did under Sam Allardyce the season before, which on paper looks to be a uh, well non improvement, yeah. but in reality that that wasn't the case. You know, um, some of the key areas I noticed he scored 54 goals last season, which ranked eighth in the in the Premier League. The season before it was 44, which ranked 12th. Um, they actually had the fifth best defence in the. Um, the division last season conceding forty four goals which I think is interesting. Um there was also improvements in the number of shots they had and uh, number of shots they faced as well. There was there was improvements all
0: across the pitch. Well that, that's the thing though what you what you've said there I think defensively since Silvers came in, I think you have been relatively relatively fine. Yeah. Um but,
1: but a lot of people wouldn't think that would they? Well no maybe not no, not no but no I no I agree with you and it's something that we'll come on to you know, a lot of people perceive as a little bit weak in defence, but in reality,
0: but what, what I was going to say there, though, is, you know, I, th- I think it's easier to coach a defence to be good without relying on the individual quality of those players. Mm-hmm. I think you can coach any, well, not any defence, but you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Whereas with the ball going forward, you are naturally reliant on a player's ability to execute a pass or find the back of the net with a shot. Yeah, you suppose So I think, I think that's where Everton have maybe struggled a little bit under silver. Um and that's where that's where the, the recruitment's eventually gonna come come into it, I suppose. Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean
1: some of those staples we talked about, I think he, he on the whole tries to prove the more domineering side in possession. I think that's fair to say. Um you know they had they ranked seventh last season for the ball possession. So far this season they're around I think it's around maybe eighth. Um but I wouldn't class Everton as a a ball obsessed side so to speak you know they are happy to relinquish the same against better sides in possession we saw that quite a lot last season at Goodison where um, some of the bigger sides come to Everton and Everton were happy to just sit back and soak up um, the attacks before you know quickly transitioning into counters and and obviously put they put a good run together um, you touched on it earlier which I think is a really good point the, even when they are without the ball though they, they do press don't they Press
0: ready aggressive. They do, but I I did check today. Um, I know what you're going to say. <laughs> yeah, it's quite a little bit surprising. Yeah, I mean... It, I mean, I'm not sure if that's just as a result of how recent matches have went in terms of the game state, Everton taking leads or, or all of it.
1: Yeah, the, the thing is, even though we've got a better sample size this season of what 12 games, it still can be heavily influenced by one or two fixtures, can't it? But, you know, just a bit bit of context last season uh, in terms of passes per defensive action, which is a metric used to basically um, assess how many passes allowed by an opponent before looking to actively make it defensive action. Yeah. Um, Everton ranks second in the Premier League behind only Manchester City with an average of 9.26. Um, it's a little bit more relaxed this season at 10.51, which ranks still in the top 10, doesn't it? But it's more mid-table, would you say?
0: Yeah, but a couple of weeks ago, it was much higher, wasn't it? Yeah, so... I'm inclined to think that, w- would that be in the case, M- maybe it's, it's heavily related to, obviously, the fact that Everton have had slightly better results lately is that, is that my right in saying that yeah, simply it, because like I think you're more inclined to press when you're losing basically mm. because you need you know the emphasis is on you to go and, to go and win the game kind yeah. of thing to go and get yourself back in the game.
1: Plus we've seen echoes of this, haven't we? To a, obviously it's a much less extent with Everton but we've talked about Liverpool on the analysing Anfield show, haven't we? About how their presses on paper look to relax, but thing is a lot of sides are just sit back now I don't dig into Liverpool and when they do get the ball clear the ball forward and I just wonder with, with Everton trying to see more of the ball the, a lot more sides are happy to sit back which means that the, there's less requirement to press isn't there yeah yeah um yeah so I think that's that's certainly some of the areas there's definitely been improvement shall we say in the in the sides and as I said the st- main staples I'll probably take from it is they like to try and dominate as much as they can in possession um yeah, they pre- press aggressively. Um, yeah, and I also think, and he's he's trying to maybe veer the side more towards creating a quite fluid attacking front three, front four, as opposed to maybe relying on. So when Everton Everton's last kind of half decent striker was Lukaku, who was a main target man who was there to provide the goals, do do all the running and. Um, basically be the focal point it, it seems like now he's looking for something a little bit more fluid and interchangeable would you agree? I would agree
0: but again I think it comes back down to the players I think if you want that you need to have players almost that naturally complement each other's mm. tendencies and things yeah. like that like you know we obviously don't want to keep using Liverpool as an example but, no, but it's, if it's, you it's, do have a better of you yeah. up front who's dropping off mm. and you've got Mane and Salou and Clarence running behind yeah, that's a perfect storm sort of thing so yeah what I think f- Everton have, a, have a, a variety of players, but they've got quite weird profiles, I think. Like, totally. You know, Bernard and Iwobi, Vigialis and Calvert-Lewin, they're all, they're all specific, specific types, specific, specific strengths that I'm not sure they, they benefit one another.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think Calvert-Lewin's really good for in terms of if we are looking for that target man kind of role. I think he's really good at, you know, holding the ball up, bring, bringing other players into play. Yeah. I think he's... He's the first defender when they are pressing the ball. Um, but yeah, I think you know, criticism of Richarlison, is, he's very goal-focused. You know, he, he isn't always... I think, I'm sure he might only have two or three assists since he's joined the club, which if you think for predominantly a wide attacker, you'd expect a little bit more.
0: You would, yeah, but I, again, like I, I don't think it's overly problematic from Richarlison's perspective, because you say he's overly goal-focused, but... I'm not sure too many in the Everton side, said huh?
1: No, yeah, it's not a criticism of him. It's more in terms of having that kind of attacking quote let. That yeah,
0: that yeah, term? that's what yeah. you mean, yeah.
1: It's, uh, it proves quite difficult. So yeah, I think, I think this, there is clear philosophies in place. It is just a case of trying to, as you said, having the personnel to really, to really do, to implement it. And you know, maybe it's a good time to talk about recruitment. Brands come in just before Silva in the same summer. Um, Without putting you on the spot in in terms of specific personnel, what are your thoughts as a whole of Everton's recruitments?
0: Um, over the course of a number of years, strange mm. and uh, a bit confusing. Yeah, like obviously the the famous three number tens in one. summer, yeah. I think it was, wasn't oh, it? Oh, it was bonkers. Yeah, I think that's why you get someone like Brands in because yeah. uh, I think he, he's responsible. His, his main goal has to be to to build a healthy squad that is suitable to. Executing whatever Silver wants mm. on the pitch, whatever Silver's identity is. Yeah. You no, know, we've just started to provide a provide a brief overview of a day. He needs the players on the pitch to be able to actually execute that game. Yeah. I think there's certain players in the Everton team that maybe aren't overly suited to what Silver wants, maybe, and, and um those players obviously have to be phased out and more suitable players have to be phased in. Yeah. And gradually um, you'll just naturally see a, p- a progression on the pitch in terms of the game being executed better, mm. um, and more complete. Yeah. Um, but I think you know if he, if he was involved in in, in signings as early as Richarlison Allison and Lucas Dean and, and players like that, Bernard as well, I think it was a fleet transfer. Yeah, wasn't he? yeah, yeah. He picked them up. Yeah. They're relatively low risk transfers for me. I've got no issues with them. Mm. Um, Lucas Dean's certainly a great signing for me. Yeah. Um. Bernard again, as I said, strange a little bit of a strange player, not particularly an output merchant. Yeah. And considering free transfer, as I said, not yeah. much risk there. So
1: you can um I find with Bernard he has got sometimes consistency issues, but he's he's probably the best left side player at Everton have, to be fair. Um, you know, we we brought a Wobi in, but I'll I'll save the Wobie talk for a little bit later in terms of his
0: best position. Um yeah, I, I think. I just think it's important for them to to not make mistakes in the market. Yeah, I think sure. it, it'd be better to almost not sign anyone than go and sign someone who's potentially going to be a, a high risk. You don't yeah. want to take risks in the transfer market. Yeah, I think you spot, and that was I think
1: that was something that they were juggling with um, this this summer. You know, the the they clearly wanted another centre back. They wanted the Zuma, couldn't get him um, for whatever reason. It turned out to be. And it was, you know, did they, re- did you really want to iron out another forty, fifty million on a on a centre back who isn't going to definitely improve the side?
0: Yeah, well, that's what I mean. If you if you look at, I mean, the perfect example is Man United at the minute. Yeah, I think they've consistently over the years splurged money basically mm. on players that they think that they need and they think that are good. Yeah, but I think it's we're at a point now where it's it's beyond just signing good players. Everton needs to avoid just signing good players. You have got to be signing players that are suitable, players that fit the game model, sort of thing, mm. and are also obviously good. But yeah. like you know, you yeah, need, we'll take it to that next level, really, because you know, at the end of the
1: day, Everton's current ambition is to break away from the side chasing the top six and actually be part of that top six. So you do need players that can not
0: only. Maintain the side you are, but improve it. Um, yeah, it's 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 about consistency for me. regarding garden recruitments, yeah, constantly going forwards rather than because I think if you do make a bad sign and it's it's almost, it almost has the effect of one step forward, two steps back. Totally, because you you're then lumbered with that player. You have to find a way of fitting him in. If he doesn't fit in, he's you know wasting money, sat on the bench, sort of yeah. thing. So,
1: I think as a whole, though, from what I've seen so far, because there was some murmurs of criticism. Um, of brands and in, in in the summer because they they didn't deliver centre back, which is what they really needed. I mean, luckily, all the eggs were put in the basket of y- Yerry Mina to come in, and he's he's probably Everton's best centre back. In fact, maybe in the show in the future we can have a, a proper drill down into him. But he's been fantastic this season, and then you've got. I think Keane struggled a little bit. I'm 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 still not sure about Keane. I don't know if you have any any, any opinion on him. Um, no, I'm the same to be honest, yeah. Yeah.
0: I think he had this is what this is what I mean. In terms of signing players that are suitable to executing your preferred game. Yeah. He's a player who okay, he showed promise, but he's moving up from a Burnley, so that's a entirely different game. You're playing in, in a in a, a low block for the majority yeah, of the time, are, so yeah. can pressure rather than defending on the halfway line. Yeah. I just think it's it's different responsibilities and I'm not, I'm not overly sure whether he's entirely suited. I, I, he looks a bit out of place for England, too.
1: Yeah, he does. He, he looks he looks like he could only ever achieve squad play, for, in my opinion, at England level. And yeah, I, I agree. That's where he seems to get found out. You know, if you think about a Burnley, as you said, they're sitting in a low block. You're probably facing a lot of balls into the box or, um, you know, sitting deep, just lots of interceptions. And then you come to Everton, and you need to be, I said, they want to play a higher line. You need to be prepared to, you know, he needs to be more of an all-rounder, don't exactly, you? Exactly, yeah. And he, he isn't doing it, so... But luckily, Holgate's seemed to really s- stepped up over the last few weeks, and they look a fairly solid centre-back pair, and so fingers crossed there. But, yeah, just going back to Silver, I think I... Uh, sorry, Brands, I'm actually fairly content with the signs he's made. Um, A, a big thing I should flag is a, I was having a look at the average age of the squad before they come in, and it was 29 and a half um, which is quite high, and it, now with this
0: season, it's been brought down to twenty average age of twenty five. Um, yeah, it's been brought down in more ways than one as well. Because as I said before, too, I think you're, you initially had a really big squad, very big squad players that just had no place really there, I and mean, needed a bit not even better players. Whole. Yeah, yeah, just players
1: just kind of taking the wage and yeah. So it's it's well, like I think it's been a period of transition for him coming in and, and working behind the scenes with Silver. Um, I think he's managed the situation really well, or as, as well as could be. Because it, one thing you got to remember as well is he's thinking about the long term prospects of the football club in terms of bringing the average age down, investing for the future. Whereas he's he's battling against Silver, who'll be thinking short term results. Only he'll be thinking about getting the best players in, no matter the price, for who's going to influence the side. And that creates in itself a bit of a, a juggling act for them.
0: Yeah, that's where you have got to get the balance right. That's when. You've obviously got to sign players that are useful enough to to improve their value with time. Mm. Um but, you know, at, at the same time you've got to sign players that can contribute immediately, yeah. or, or you'll fly down the table. So yeah. they've got to offer that long term potential, but they've got to have enough quality to contribute as soon as they come in, sort of thing. Definitely. But especially if you if you have positions of need. It's different if you've got a squad or a first eleven that's already really strong and a player can be gradually integrated behind the scenes. Mm. But I think once you start once you start your move forwards, once you start your rebuild, the players you sign are probably gonna come in immediately. Into yeah. the first eleven they're probably gonna to wanna to improve the eleven immediately. So
1: Yeah. And that's this is what I think he's done well. You no, know, if I think of the, the first three names on the sheet for me, I'd be looking at in the on the team sheet, I'd be looking at I'm coming from Yerry Mina, Luca Dean and Richarlison. You know, there's and they're all players that have been bought in the last 18 months.
0: Yeah, well, that's what I mean. you just got to build
1: on that, really. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we'll move on to maybe general thoughts of Everton so far this season. Um, you know, as I said, they're in 15th, but it, it is important to note, isn't it, that the table's so congested this year. You've yeah. got between 5th um, and 15th, where Everton lie, is three points. So, <laughs> although it's been, um, it seemed, underwhelming, um, there's still three points off the top six. Have you got any, any thoughts on how Everton have kind of performed this season? Maybe more underlying numbers than what people are seeing in the table?
0: Yeah, well, that was what I was going to say then. I think one thing we're going to be about every week on this podcast is the whole underlying numbers perspective mm-hmm. on the game. So, you know, people people will be inclined to call them stats and things like that. And I think immediately you have a negative conversation yeah. attached to stats. But for us, the way we use them, they're basically performance indicators. That's, that's how we describe them, performance indicators. So... I mean I saw you recently put out something about um how many shots Everton have faced. Yeah. And people were inclined to say, you know, it's pointless because we've conceded yeah. I mean, seventeen or whatever it is. Yeah.
1: That well, was actually really frustrating because as you I won't I won't take you there from the in terms of finishing that sentence, but yeah, <laughs> you know, that's just people if you do want to see the tweets it's it's on at DAHughes underscore and it was basically just stating that Everton have the uh have faced the fifth lowest number of shots across Europe's top five years, uh, top five <laughs> leagues this season. Um, which, on the surface, obviously, seemed bonkers, didn't they? Couldn't believe it. But, as you were saying, sorry, mate, yeah. Yeah, but that's what
0: I mean. No, pe- people are inclined to say, yeah, but we've conceded 20 or, or whatever. Mm. But, at the end of the day, the, the two coincide in terms of one tends to relate to the other. Mm. One tends to, you know, you've got to be bothered about the process rather yeah. than just looking at the outcomes. Yeah. So, Rather than looking at solely the outcomes, we try to look at what influences the outcomes. And if you're fe- if you're facing very few number of shots per match, then it's likely that over a long period of time you're not going to concede that many, and your defence is, is decent, really. Yeah. Um. But you know, looking at everything beneath the surface, for me, do they, they look comfortably at least the sixth best team in the league. Mm. You know, I w I wouldn't go much lower than that just based on based on the numbers. They tend to shoot about five times more than their opponents um, per match. Mm. Um I think opposing teams find it generally difficult to generate shots against Everton. Um obviously the 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 tend to press, they're inclined to press the slight issues is once that press is broken. Yeah. Because teams tend to generate Clear cut shot clear cut shots once that happens, but
1: I think that was the underlying narrative that you could maybe take, wasn't it, from the pointing out the um the fifth fewest number of shots faced yeah. was that, you know, there's there is a narrative in there and the chances are that, you know, Everton on the whole restricted opposition in terms of shots, but when they do concede shots, they tend to be of a high
0: value. Yeah. I said to you the day, we, we had a period a couple of years ago, with Liverpool like yeah. that, we were really good on the defensive side of the game. Pressed intensely, but whenever teams did break our press, they just score, yeah. and, and we'd suffer major results as a, as a consequence. When the performance levels from match to match were really, really strong, mm. and I think Everton Everton are vaguely similar in, similar in that regard.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, I was having a little gander at the um of the non non penalty XG rankings that today, and um, Everton ranked fourth in the table. Um, and they also rank fourth in the table for non penalty XG against, which again on the surface is decent, isn't it? Yeah. And I, mean, I was just going to say, people people point, have, anyone I've spoke to this about away a just in general chit chat who kind of keep an eye on things such as like expected goals, et cetera, they've been inclined to point out that Everton had a fairly easy run, which they did, of course, but they, they've still played three of last season's top seven, including the champions of. Well, the eventual champions last season. So,
0: yes, I, you know what? Considering this is the first episode, maybe we should provide yeah a so definition yeah, of, of expected of course, goals, yeah. maybe go on, mate. just to give a well. Don't you just, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'll, tell you I'll you what. I'll I'll use the standard Newcastle example, eh? the one yeah. the one that we always go for. Um, well, expected goals, anyway. Say for example, you shoot from forty yards out. That shot will have a value of about zero point zero one, maybe. And that's because it's scored roughly one in a hundred times. It's got about about a 1% chance of being scored based on history, based on the history of football. Um,
1: Historical shot data, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Whereas if you're taking a penalty, maybe, that's likely to have an XG of about 0.76. And that's because roughly 76% of penalties are scored. So... You know, XG provides an insight into the performance level of a team in terms of creating shots compared to the shots that the opposing team created against them. And obviously, once a shot is created, you're reliant on a player to be able to finish. You're you're reliant on a player's finishing ability. XG obviously just considers as though every player is exactly the same. Mm. The average player would. The average player score this 1% of the time, 36% of the time, 76% of the time. And, you know, at the end of a match and at the end of a season, you can get a gauge as to whether if every player was a robot, mm. whether Everton deserved more better results or worse results or, you know, that, that yeah. sort of thing.
1: I mean, you touched earlier the performance indicator. XG is a fantastic performance indicator, I think. Um, it's not perfect at all. And, you know, the more the shows go on, you'll you'll find us probably going into a little bit more detail, won't we, about maybe flaws in the same. But if we use Everton v Southampton as a good example... Now, I haven't had 19 shots. And traditionally, people would look at a shot count and determine how dominant the side were. But in reality, the the XG combined for all those shots was 1.47, according to a specific model. I just, well, it was 1.74. I don't know. Why. No, no, uh, four seven, which is kind of the, the the better side on the day. But and I I bet people at home would be assuming 19 shots would probably generate a much higher XG.
0: Yeah, no. I think generally you would be surprised how few shots are actually scored, mm. how few shots result in actual goals. Um, and you know, I just I mentioned the Newcastle example. Oh, yeah. I didn't even say it. Uh, a couple of years ago. For example, Newcastle. Um, I think it was twenty eleven twelve, finished fifth under Alan Pardew. They finished above Liverpool, above Everton, above Chelsea. They give Alan Pardew the famous eight-year contract <laughs> um, <laughs> in the summer. He didn't really change a great deal. He sold them bar, brought in Debussy, I think. Wasn't a great deal of change. But the following season, he finished about 15th. Um, and, you know, Mike actually obviously couldn't get his head around it. Mm. But those that would have used performance indicators, such as XG, you know, shot, goal difference and things like mm-hmm. that, would have been able to foresee that coming. Yeah. Um, because the previous season, I think Newcastle finished 5th but only with a goal difference of about plus five, mm. whereas Chelsea finished sixth with a goal difference of about plus nineteen. So, in other words, Newcastle benefited from the results, but the actual performance that was on the pitch, the majority of the time, matches were re- really in the balance. Mm. Newcastle got the lucky goal and got and, you know benefited from the likes of Papi. So you say converting low quality chances, mm. but it was unsustainable really and yeah. you'd be able to get an indicator on that if you looked at the performance numbers um, so that that's one of the reasons we look at it it, it, it gives you a better long term gauge on how a team are going to perform whether a team's results are deserved as opposed to just looking at you know did we win sort yeah. of thing
1: leaving well, another most recent example whilst I haven't got the numbers was I think this is a good example because certainly you know expected goals and um, was of on the radar well definitely was on the radar actually um, in twenty nineteen and when people were looking at Oli Gunnar Solskjaer, you know, a yeah. lot of the traditional pundits out there were saying, Give him a contract, you know, he's got United playing the United way, but you know, the kind of blogs on the seedy part of the internet were saying, no oh, this is a this isn't going to sustain and there's a big problem coming. Mm-hmm. And of course, post PSG, that that night where United obviously somehow overcome that result in Champions League, everything after that has been a bit of a mess since, hasn't it? And There's still question marks over whether he should, he will be the manager long term. But you know, looking at the XG numbers for that phenomenal run they had um, on the way to that night in PSG, it it was pretty obvious, wasn't it, that they were just overperforming massively.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. And you know, just just taking it back to Everton, the Royal Blue
1: Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, the Royal Blue Podcast from
0: Everton's perspective. I'm not, I'm not really sure if it's a positive or a negative. I think it's a, probably a positive, but looking at their numbers objectively, it looks as though rather than being lucky, as Pardew was and as Solskjaer was, it looks like Silver's unlucky event. Yeah, he is. Um, yeah. It looks like Everton's numbers suggest a team, as I said, that's about the sixth best in the league, maybe, mm. around that. But, you know, the position in 15th, because the chances that they are creating, maybe, aren't really being finished. Like, I, I looked at... You know, the players in Everton's team. And Bernard is the only player who's 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 scored more than he's been expected to score, yeah. according to XG. Every other player has scored fewer than the well, not every other player, but you know, there's not there's not a great deal in there's no player that's greatly overperforming his numbers and, mm. yeah. and and doing Silver a favour, basically. Yeah.
1: Well I think that's a really good point you're making probably moves us on to why Everton aren't we we where they should be, according to the online numbers. And I mean, that's one you've just flagged perfectly there, that they're, they're just not finishing the chances, are they, really, that, they should, that they're creating for themselves. Another thing is, um, you know, the, as I touched on before that they tend to dominate, or the the more dominating side, without actually wholly dominating the game. Do you, do you understand what I'm trying to say there? So the, yeah. the, they're the better side normally, but they don't do enough in terms of dominating the game to secure the win, and I'll, I'll back it up with some numbers. So, obviously, this season, they've averaged 1.08 goals per game, and they've conceded 1.5. The XG is um, an average of 1.31, and they've conceded an average XG of 1.12. So, really, they although Although, um, if we look at the XG solely for now, they're, they're the better side in terms of XG. There's... There's not enough dominance to kind of yeah. overcome the variables or the the kind of the madness random, that can yeah. happen or the, the random the events. Ra- random events, yeah, that can happen within a ninety-minute match. And you know, prime example of Everton kind of suffering from these. <laughs> you had the uh, the VAR decision at Brighton, um, which obviously proved to be wrong. But it, it, the game's finally poised a two-one, and
0: that leads yeah, yeah, to yeah.
1: a two-two, and then obviously a three-two via an own goal. Yeah, um, I
0: think I think City at the perfect perfect example of what we're talking about there mm. one of the reasons Guardiola consistently wins leagues and consistently wins matches and things like that every year he gets in around 100 points which is relatively unheard of is because the way his teams play he exhibits dominance mm. over the opposing team not just in possession but you know, consistently City seem to take roughly around maybe 17 18 shots per match mm. and they face about Maybe six. Hmm. So if in every match, I don't care who you are, yeah, you're taking 18 shots and the opposing team's taking six, you're gonna win the majority of them, yeah. And the more you can get that in your favour, the more likely you are to win the match, regardless of random events that can occur during games, like red cards or you know penalty decisions or or things like that.
1: And it's important to know from an Everton perspective, you know, Josh mentioned it before, but Everton averaging around 12 shots per game and the opposition's. Um, seven point eight. So, you know, that ev- is quite that is decent. Yeah, Everton are on the right track, aren't they?
0: Yeah, that 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 is, you know, sound. I've got no I've got no issues with that. That's you're out shooting your opponents yeah. on average by about five shots a game. That as long as it increases. Yeah. Which it should do if you continue to sign better players. Yeah. You know, that's that's an upward trajectory.
1: Yeah. Um another thing we should Points on, but we won't we won't stay on it. I'll just flag it quickly because you you've probably spoken a million times about this with your mates down in the pub or at the game or whatever. But set pieces being killed killing Everton as well for the last eighteen months. Um, they've conceded seven so far this season and um, sixteen last season. That's that's thirty two percent of all their league goals are being conceded from set pieces. Um, It's It's an Achilles heel, isn't it, really? (laughs) If you can just try and get down to that to maybe ten or twelve percent, then you're gonna see a huge difference in your results because as we mentioned many times on other shows, football is a low scoring game and a goal will often be a deciding factor in a match. Yeah. So
0: for example, I'll just give you an example on that, it's it's also an Achilles heel of Chelsea at the minute. Mm. Frank Lampard's team. Chelsea, most matches do tend to dominate their opponents this season. They're doing very well. All their results are deserved according to the numbers. Mm. But they do seem to be suffering at the hands of set pieces. For example, they played Liverpool a couple of months ago. Mm. Um, Fairly even game. Don't think he was much in it at all. Liverpool scored from a direct free kick yeah. and a, a free kick that was delivered into the box and headed in. Yeah. So, you know It was a well worked
1: free kick, just to add, wasn't it? it was a yeah, bit, yeah,
0: definitely well worked, yeah. But that's the kind of thing that, like, you know, despite your performance levels being good, mm. you can you can easily suffer at the hands of at the hands of set pieces because of what you just said regarding football being a low scoring game. Yeah,
1: and we know as well that's it. We it's certainly top sides now when investing a lot into profiting from set pieces as well, um, which will naturally filter down into the sides chasing them in the table, and that means that not only are uh, um these sides who struggle to defend against them um struggling, but they've also got a they're also facing more I don't know, what's the term I'm looking for? A bit more advanced coaching mechanisms or thought processes behind set pieces now rather than just being a, a whip ball into yeah, the cross. Choreographed up. choreographed perfect, yeah. yeah. That's the best way to articulate it. Um so it's something that you really need to be good at defending against. Um yeah, so I said the, the sides are good for Everton, aren't they? Really, in terms of underlying numbers and I think they've got a real tough run. If we have a look at the fixtures they've got, after Norwich, got Leicester away, Liverpool away, Chelsea at home, probably the three best teams in the league, and um, well, three of the four, City in there as well. Um, so that's tough. And then you got United away, um, Leicester in the cup, and then Arsenal at home. So it's a it's a ruthless run of fixtures. Um, do you think that we might have we might have similar performance levels after them or? So you can see it's raw.
0: Well, this this is what we're saying, really, isn't it? The, the performance levels that we're talking about, yeah. What we're saying really is, if Everton continued to perform exactly with those performance levels up until the end of the season, they should be fine because yeah. what they're doing is enough to win the majority of matches. If if every single player was exactly the same level, mm. uh, the difference is that. that that you know the are and and set pieces come into it and refereeing decisions come into it and things like that. But I'd expect Everton's um, performance in regards to the numbers to tail off a bit, a little bit in terms of facing top opponents. Though yeah. you're not going to be dominating. The, I mean, who who exactly? I mean, you face Liverpool, don't you? Yeah, face. Um,
1: so we got Leicester away, which could obviously be a tricky fixture. Yeah? Chelsea at home. We we know Chelsea. we've Been really impressed by Chelsea. I think that'll be a really tough game, but. I must say those three games are really tough, but United shouldn't really be a sad that it f- feared. Okay, that I'm, not, I'm the,
0: not sure Leicester either. I mean, we well, yeah, we have
1: addressed Leicester, haven't we? And yeah, we know that the, the they may be on the brink of a drop off at some point. Yeah,
0: just just based on Leicester's numbers, you, you would get the perspective that they have benefited a lot from aspects such as luck and red cards and things mm-hmm. like that. And
1: I, I think what what it is for for Everton, um. I said, I won't stay on too long, but their, their way form isn't great either. I think if that was a home fixture, yeah, I'd, I'd 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 fancy them a little bit more, just to yeah, yeah bring it down. But um yeah, it's it's not it's away, so it'll be interesting. Um We'll move on anyway to someone I I mentioned earlier. I'd like to talk about, and that's new boy Alex Awobi, uh, <clears throat> who came in the summer. Now we were we were both sitting at the news desk at the Echo, wasn't we? When um, a Woby's kind of transfer or news of it come from nowhere? Was it the second to last day of the window?
0: Yeah, it was certainly yeah. inside the second to last. It might, might have even been the last. You know,
1: and it stand it stands out to me that I remember you saying you, you like a Wobie.
0: Yeah, that yeah. Might, my my yeah. first thought was it's an interesting Outside the box type sign, yeah, that didn't even cross my mind as an option. Say,
1: and it, it, I think a lot of people, and I did a piece at the time along these lines, so this isn't me kind of saying I knew better than all of you because this is the impression we were getting. But a lot of people thought he was going to be a Zaha alternative, and I don't know if, if it was a masterstroke in that. He was going to be something a little bit more, or they were just looking for an, a Zaha alternative, and he proved out to to be this person. But he's probably not. I hope he wasn't. Yeah, because yeah.
0: That's a little bit concerning. The view.
1: yeah, exactly. That's the point I was about to say he he's not
0: he's not a winger, is he? Really, his
1: profile doesn't suit being a wide player. No,
0: if you, if you, from what I pick up on, whenever I look at a Wobi, he always shows up well in regards to being a player that is capable of progressing the ball up the field which is easier said than done. It sounds very simple, but in terms of advancing up the pitch, getting from A to B, that's what I think is a Wobie's best quality. Good in tight spaces, doesn't need many touches to make a decision on the ball, and the decision is usually good. Um, So he's a player that, I mean, I'm not sure if if you're about to mention it, but he's a player that, for me, seems to suit quite a central role in a lot of systems. Yeah. Yeah. Perhaps even as an eight, depending on who's surrounding him, and depending on again what what your system is. But I I do really like him as a player.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, spot on. Totally echo it. Yeah i've I've been banging the drum really for him as a as a number ten. But I have said even as a number eight, if Everton were looking to deploy a four three three type formation, which I think Silva still wants to do, and I'm not too sure. Um, he's had some opportunities, but this this season, just with the injuries, it's been difficult to kind of fill that midfield. But I would like I would like to see him as an eight. I think he could be really good in that role. Um, but if we just focus on being a number 10, yeah, I have to agree. He's, he's really dynamic. I, although the sample size in terms of minutes is different between the two players, but this season he's averaged around... Just shows twenty five passes received, per ninety minutes. When you compare that to Sigurdsson, who averages just just on twenty per ninety, I think it shows that we well, is just better at finding pockets, you know, using that kind of awareness to to find the holes within the opposition's setup.
0: Yeah, well, that was one. That was one thing I've got. I was going to make, but I've uh, I've took a little slightly alternative route on yeah. that. Um, I think he's more inclined to show for the ball as well. So I just looked at. Over the past calendar year mm. um thirty eight number tens have played over one thousand five hundred minutes in Europe's top five leagues. Mm. Thirty eight and Sigurdsson's thirty fourth for passes per ninety. Yeah, now cool. I know that's obviously reliance on tactics and style and all things like that, but it it it's basically all it does also capture that he, he doesn't see the ball a great deal considering yeah. he's Technically, a link man, really. In, yeah, a number 10, obviously, different responsibilities and things like that. But a main responsibility usually is to link the play to provide mm-hmm. a bit of glue, or like you know, the whole advanced pivots, yeah, advanced kind pivot, of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you see, the thing I have with Sigurdsson,
1: and I do like Sigurdsson, you know, I think he's a he's almost like a I don't know, he, he, he's he, although he still hasn't scored a direct free kick since he's joined Everton, but I was about to say he's a set piece. Specialist. Um, I don't know if that's actually accurate, but he's perceived as one anyway. And I always find he, he can produce match winning moments and he'll always give you a moment within a game. You know, whether that be a, a through ball or, you know, a, a, a really good cross into the box, he'll always give you a moment. But his all around tendency to drift through a game, unnoticed really, often outweighs those fleeting
0: contributions. Yeah, I, I totally agree that he's he's one player who's definitely capable of almost winning a match on his own. Yeah. But at the same time, I think in the grand scheme of things, he's inclined to negatively impact the system. Yeah. Just because he's 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 almost like a, a cog that's not working sometimes. And if, if obviously if a cog falls down then the whole the whole yeah. system breaks, sort of thing. I'm not s I am not I do not think he's as bad as that, but I don't know, I've always looked at Sigerson and thought he he looks to me as though he's got similar qualities in terms of delivery to De Bruyne and Alexander Arnold, mm. and I'm I'm always curious as to whether he, he never really seems to be tested in the four two three one on the right side. Do you get yeah. what I mean? Yeah, in so an, coming in, into the half space. Type yeah, area, just, yeah, just just so he can put those deliveries in from the inside right position. Mm. Um, just as a as a test, because I'm not I'm just not saying he's a ten. I'm not sure. So, I'm not sure he's a. He's a, a positively a positive contributor as a ten. Um, I
1: think we can probably say he isn't really. Um, certainly now, obviously he's he's getting older as well. He just doesn't. I don't think he just hasn't got that uh, that
0: prowess in the in that area that you need. like you know? like, like I, I watched the Wobie a couple of weeks ago against West Ham mm. at Goodison. Mm. Everton played superb on the day, but I picked up on a Wobie making a real difference because he was inclined to just like pick up the ball and play a really short pass around a corner with, like, one, two touches. Mm, yeah, Good uh, in tight spaces, as I've said. Li- l- linking the play without requiring any real time on the ball yeah. and things like that. and Just moving, as I said, moving moving this team up the pitch yeah. but doing it quickly without allowing the opposing team to actually assess the si- situation. Mm, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Too often Sigurdsson will just allow sides to
1: get... Because he is a bit slow and laboured, he just allows sides to switch into the environment and organise and work out what's going on, who's making passes where, you know, close them down, take that yard. That As you said, Woby doesn't. I, I, you know, I put a, a thread on Twitter about Woby's impact. Now, Woby actually didn't start the Southampton game. He was on the bench and Sigurdsson started at number 10. But Woby come on in, in in the second half. and I, For me, I thought he was integral to the second goal. Um, you know, he, the ball's played into him in the centre circle and... For me, I think Sigurdsson, who's he goes back to goal at this point, takes a touch there before spinning around on it. And Awobi takes no touch, lets the ball roll past him, drives forward with the ball to allow um Sadibi to make the overlap and run. And then he plays a perfectly weighted ball for Sadibi to run onto and put across it. It was just a, a brilliant piece of play that didn't really get the credit it deserves. And also a piece of play I don't think Sigurdsson would have been capable of
0: producing. Yeah, I just I just think he's he's a little bit of a, a tactical misfit in mm. terms of like he is is capable of those moments in matches. So he almost just gets a place in the side, mm. but he requires certain certain circumstances to be able to apply his game on yeah. the pitch. Yeah, um, and I think. You know, Coutinho was similar to that. Coutinho's got got to have that kind of like hybrid role from the left to the central midfield, and he's mm. got to be allowed to like see lots of the ball and shoot wherever he wants yeah. and things like that. And if you're good enough to demand that, fine, it's wa- it's worth doing. Sigurdsson was undoubtedly good enough to demand that at Swansea, yeah. And it looked as though whenever Swansea scored, it was him doing it. Mm. But the higher up you climb, the better you've got to be to demand such a tactical a tailored tactical role yeah the highest I can think of is Messi yeah. obviously spends the majority of the match walking he's got his own role virtually yeah. but because of what he delivers he is worth those adjustments I'm just not sure Sigurdsson is yeah spot on mate highly uh, I totally agree
1: just quickly a final word on uh, Woby. the The only negative I can really think of at the moment is he doesn't he doesn't have a lot of goals to his game Um he scored two so far this season, all competitions. Three last season, I think it was for Arsenal. Um, but that's only league and domestic cup. I know he scored in the Europa League final, didn't he? Did he? Yeah, I'm sure he did. Um, Who? Awobi. Oh, yeah, uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'll, 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 we'll say he did for now. I can't quite remember. Um, but anyway, yeah, so. Are always lacking goals for his game at the moment. Do you do you think that's something that should be concerning? Or I know, yeah, I don't I, I don't. I don't think it's a problem. Would you? Because is is this because you consider more of a creator than a goal scorer? Yeah, it's
0: his goal scoring is not a problem, mm. providing you get goals from elsewhere. Yeah, I think you let him do what he's good at in the team, which is for me progressing the ball, mm. and you let other people do the scoring. Okay, that might then people then players might not be there at the minute. But yeah. as I said You know We, we were talking about Brant's recruitment there If he keeps Going in the way he's going Maybe Be inclined to move A Wobie into either A number 10 Or an 8 Yeah Get players in the team Who are going to score And then there's less of an emphasis On a Wobie to do so Yeah It was a Wobie who scored in that final By the way
1: <laughs> Just to confirm um, <laughs> Yeah we're, I'm really conscious That time's getting away From us here um, But I just want to touch on um, Moise Keane Very quickly Now, Evertonians were over the moon with this signing. And so was I, to be honest. Really exciting. We haven't really seen anything of him so far. Um, And when he has come in, he's been a bit of a misfit. He's looked a little bit out of sorts. And, yeah, it's a strange one, really. I'm just... I I, I still think he's going to be a success big time. I think he potentially needs a run in the side. Obviously, through the week, he, uh, he played for the... Italy under-21 side and scored two goals. Maybe that's the confidence he needs. Do you think he would still be a really good player for Everton?
0: Yeah, I, I don't see much of an issue at the minute. He's only been in, for, you know, not, not for long, basically, and he's still, I think he's 19 years old, Yeah, isn't he? he? scored um, six goals in Serie A last season before, over, like, very little playing time. I think, considering his, his profile, how good he is for his age, what he offers and things like that, Again, going back to the whole risk thing regarding recruitment, I think he's a very low risk, son. Yeah. I think even... Even for even he, for the money. Even though I agree, I'm just put, I'm, I'm putting... Yeah, but what, what I'm saying yeah. is, even if he has a, a nightmare, um, I still think you're getting a good amount of money back for him yeah, when, when it comes fair, to eventually yeah. selling. Yeah. I think he's worth... What, was it 30 million or so? Yeah, something like that, yeah. Potentially rising to, to say, 40. Right? I, I, I think considering his current profile and, and you know how how complete his game is at such a young age still a teenager as I said I think is I think he was worth the risk and I think it, it'd have to go seriously badly wrong for Everton to take a hit yeah. I think on on him and he he for me is kind of the perfect
1: recruitment strategy while I've been wanting Everton to to kind of install for for a while in the sense that you know Everton aren't the elite in the, in the Premier League, you know, there could maybe a tier or two below. Um, so what I really want to see Everton do then is invest in younger players who they can reap benefits on the pitch as they advance and improve and then sell them on for profits. And that that's how they sustain as a club rather than relying on, they like some Shearie, putting him, you know, 150, 200 million every couple of years, which is really difficult to do now anyway because of financial fair play. Um, so I think it's it. it he was the type of sign I was really happy with, and I think it's a statement of word Everton in terms of recruitments. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we I said that there's no point dwelling too much on Southampton. Um, it was Everton's first away win of the season, which was good. Um, I think it, it carried a lot with the the story of Evans season so far in terms of, you know, the better side, but not necessarily dominating. They've relied on a, a goal late on from Charleston to, to get all three points, but I think it was important to get the victory. Um, XG numbers 1.47 in their favour compared to 0.78 for Southampton. And I think 0.52 of that XG for Southampton was the goal itself, which was Danny Ings from around six yards out. So on
0: the whole, he didn't really let Southampton create a lot. No, I mean, you know, fr- from a objective stance... It's kind of the, the ideal game, really. I think, how I many shots did you say Everton had? Everton had 19 <coughs> with six on target. Yeah, well, I mean, Southampton, I think, took about six, was it? Something Less like
1: that. than that, actually. They took
0: four with three on target. Well, that comes back to what we said before. If, if you're dominating the shot count to that extent, you're going to win most weeks. Yeah. So, that is a perfect example of, of, of what Everton and what every team should be striving to get towards. yeah, It's just quite mm-hmm. remarkable how many teams in the Premier League just seem to, they just can't do it. yeah. So it, any team that does start to do it tends to climb really quickly. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, Arsenal can't do it at the minute, Man United can't do it at the minute, Chelsea can Spurs can't at the minute, but obviously we'll see how that one goes from yeah. now onwards.
1: So face Norwich this weekend, first game after the international break. Bearing in mind the fixtures on the horizon, I think it's a huge game. And you know, I said to you before we started recording, for me, this is probably bearing in mind it's a home fixture, it's probably the easiest game in the Premier League. And that's not no disrespect to Norwich, and this isn't me setting myself up for egg on my face if they go on to, <laughs> to win a good or But you know, certainly pre-game, it should be the easiest, easiest fixture they'll probably face over the next few months. Um, you know, there was a. I was getting really frustrated. I talked to you many a time about the the false narrative around Norwich's ability after they beat City. Um, yeah, but then they've gone on to lose something like seven of the last eight games. So would you would you agree that's probably the easiest fixture ever can face?
0: Yeah, they look really um really naive to me. Yeah, really open. Um, I think th- I I admire the whole sticking to your principles thing and mm. refusing to change in that to an extent, but they will be a Level where it gets to a point where you're like, don't start hitting it long by any means, but yeah. Of course, just make a few sensible decisions on the ball, or you know, make make a few sensible decisions regarding instructing a certain player to be a, a bit more cautious because of he, who he's up against, or you know, risks in certain areas of the pitch, just things like that. Just n- not seem to be, I mean, I think you can tell that they're, they're a young team, uh, a little bit fragile. And Obviously, we, we were talking earlier about. Set pieces, Norwich are actually the smallest side in the league. Mm. Um, so, you know, put a, put a fiver on any Meaner or something. Getting him from a corner. Yeah, I didn't know we were doing tips, but that's probably a good one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I just think they're a very naive side, struggling at the minute. Yeah, They face the second most shots in the league um, and they're full of mistakes for me that Everton are likely to provoke, considering that they're, they're inclined to press quite high up the pitch. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, I watched them only, probably would have been, I've watched them a couple of times, but in terms of full 90 minutes where I was watching each detail of the game, I watched them at Anfield at the start of the season. Um, and, you know, the, it was very just open and expansive at, at one end and then they were creating chances, but I don't know, it was just a bit wild, wasn't it? And yeah. it, it, it just was, didn't feel like they, were in, they didn't realise this is the Premier League where... You know, you kind
0: of need a little bit more structure to your game. Yeah, just just a little bit more, like, realism. A bit more pragmatic about... Not not even that, because I'm not going to take, like, the Andy Gray stance or something, where you need to start hoofing it long or something. It's just a case of being a bit more sensible, a bit more streetwise about what you're doing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, not not a very good defensive game at all. Um, and on the attacking side, they're currently 13th for shots taken. So, that. Little bit worse than mid table on the attacking side and on the defensive side, they're the worst for me.
1: I yeah, think. yeah. Um, so, you
0: know, mix them together and you're up against a team that's fairly, uh, if you consider them as well, the age of them, that the smallest side in the league and things like that, they are a relatively easy side to face. Yeah, yeah, you spot
1: on. Um, well, we'll round it up there. Predictions for the, for the game?
0: Um, I am going to go. Three nil, Everton. Three nil.
1: You know what? I'll uh, I'll go, I'll go four <laughs> one. Yeah, just uh, I, 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 Everton seems to have a tendency to concede against players who haven't scored for a while. And um, Puky's obviously <laughs> in a in a huge drought for Norwich, but he did score three goals in two games over the international break. So maybe he might find find a way to net one.
0: But yeah, I yeah, I, I absolutely promise all that. My three 0 doesn't derive from the fact that Lucas Dean's in my fantasy team. <laughs> <laughs> a little yeah. bit of
1: hope in that one. Yeah. I think needs to go back and man, actually. Um, <laughs> but listen, yeah, hopefully you enjoyed the first show. As I said, it'll be it'll be a regular show. And um, well, yeah, if you've got any feedback, by all means, if it's nice stuff, send us a tweet. If it's if it's not, then DM us so no one else sees it. But <laughs> uh, hopefully you enjoyed it. Um, any questions? Drop us a line and. And hopefully we'll see you tuning in for the next one. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.